0: Welcome to the Harbor Church podcast. Harbor is here to connect people with Jesus and with each other. If you're looking to get connected, you can find more info at harborchurch.com. Now here's this week's message from Pastor Josh. So we started this uh, series a few weeks ago and we started by looking at a, uh, a passage in the Old Testament from the book of Genesis about a couple of cities called Sodom and Gomorrah. And God was disappointed. He was frustrated with all of their sin. These cities were were running rampant with evil. They had, they were rebellious to God, pagan, just very very evil cities. And God said, "Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna destroy these cities." And and uh, he's he said he wouldn't if there was if there was any kind of good that was able to come there, like he was gonna spare them. And there was a believer in those cities named Lot, and we started this series by looking at a guy named Lot who had an opportunity to save his cities from destruction, and yet he had spent so much time as a chameleon that he wasn't uh, he wasn't able to have an effective testimony. And we looked at this idea of being a chameleon. If this is your first time here or your first time in a long time, my name's Josh. I'm the lead pastor at Harbor Church, and we've been... Uh, we've been looking at this this topic of chameleons. Chameleons are animals that take their surroundings and adopt them to become their own identity. They blend into what's around them and they intentionally don't stand out. But the problem with that is, if you're a believer, if you are someone who claims to have a relationship with Jesus Christ, the Bible has called you to be a light in the darkness to be salt that, that, that flavors everything it touches differently. Like your, your job is to make an impact and Satan has got an onslaught of culture and worldly viewpoints that tell you, you just need to step back and blend in and just look like everybody else. I just got to go with the flow. I got to look like everybody else because when you do that, there's nothing about you There's nothing that that attracts somebody who is struggling, who is lost, somebody who needs hope. They don't look to you as somebody that that might have answers. They don't look to you as somebody who might be able to point them to truth. This is where God says, if you have Jesus, you become a bright, shining light. So I don't care how old you are, if this is about you and you're at, at school, on the bus, with your team that you play on, you're supposed to be a light. If you're at work. You're supposed to be an encouragement to your, to your co-workers. You're supposed to be somebody who impacts the the environment they're in and makes a difference. A chameleon does the exact opposite. just says, nah, I'm not really interested in any of that. I'm looking out for me. And so we're talking about this idea of a city being destroyed in the first week. And this week, this is the end of our chameleon series because I got something new starting next week for Palm Sunday. This week, as we close out chameleons, we're also going to end with another city set up for destruction. And we think about this: God destroying a city, bringing down fire and brimstone. We think about that, and we go, "I don't like that version of God. That's not the God I like, pastor. Here's what you need to understand. Second Peter three says that God is not willing that any should perish. My super reform friends don't really like this verse because what it's saying is that it's not God's plan for anybody to go to hell. He doesn't destine them to hell. He's not, he doesn't want that for anybody. See, we love the, the merciful God, right? We like, I like a God full of mercy and grace and just give me heaven and rainbows and sunshine, and man, that's the God I like. But here's the truth. That God is, is God. He is merciful and he is compassionate and he is loving. He's very forgiving, but he's also righteous and holy. You don't want a God that isn't righteous and holy. You don't want a human God who plays favorites. You want a God who is holy, and if he's truly holy, then that means he has to be just. And justice means that evil is accounted for, that there is a payment for sin. The things that are broken have to be fixed. And God is just. And so he has to bring justice on rebellion, on sin. But because he's also loving and merciful and gracious, he sends his only begotten son that whosoever, doesn't matter how rebellious, how jacked up, how broken you are, whosoever believes in Jesus Christ can have forgiveness and have a renewed relationship with God and can miss out on all of the judgment. That's a huge, huge win. Here's the problem, see, like, we look at that and we go, what, what's that look like for us, those of us in the room? And I recognize there's some of you in the room, some of you watching. You're like, bro, I don't know what I believe. I don't know if I believe in God. I don't know what I think about Jesus. Some of you are like, I like it. I like some of it. I don't like other parts of it. And the way you're preaching, I don't really like this at all. And, and then there's some of you that are like, uh, man, I'm, I'm just undecided. I'm on the outside, wherever you're at. Know this, I'm glad you're here, I'm glad you're listening. You're, you're, you're beginning to investigate. Thanks, thanks for taking it serious. The most important decision you'll ever make in your entire life, more important than who you marry or what job you get or if you have kids or not, most, the single most important decision you'll ever make is what you do with Jesus Christ. Now, we celebrate at Christmas when Jesus came to earth very meek and mild and was born in a manger, very humble. The Bible says that he'll come back a second time. And when he comes back a second time, It will not be meek and mild. And everybody will notice, but that's also the the heaviness of it is that's the end. That's the end of being able to choose evil and good because all of the evil will then be brought to justice. And every single one of us in here have committed evil. Every single one of us, especially me, we're all broken. We're all dumpster fires, we all have issues. If you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, What he did on the cross, and in two weeks, we're gonna celebrate that he died on a cross, went into a tomb, and rose again from the dead three days later, and that gives you and I the opportunity to hand over our sin, hand over our guilt, and allow his gift of of dying on the cross to cover all that. Now, if you believe that, if you've accepted that, what God says is that you're supposed to be an ambassador of that. You have received the antidote For the poison that is sin, the poison that will take people to hell, and hell is a real place that people will go to if they reject Jesus Christ. I know that's not popular to preach, and most churches won't talk about that anymore, but that's the other side of it. Yes, God is loving and merciful and gracious, and he's not willing that any should perish, but he's also just. He's doing everything he can to help people avoid paying for sin because he loves us, but the sin that we do needs to be punished, needs to be vanquished, and so if you've already got a ticket to heaven, and I say that not because that should be your only motivation, but those of you that are like, yeah, I'm going to heaven. I'm good. I've got my sins forgiven. I'm I'm there. Your job's not done. You're not in heaven yet. Check your pulse. Some of you might be there, like, but you're not there yet. Why? Because there's people around you. You have family members. You have friends. You have co-workers. You have teammates and classmates. You have people that need Jesus. You know them. Maybe God wants you to be that person that steps in. So we have a story of Sodom and Gomorrah. Lot does not do anything, and those cities are destroyed. You, you go forward a few chapters in the Bible, and then we have another city getting ready to be destroyed. Now, last week, we looked at a guy named Joe. And Joe, also known as Joseph in Genesis, had everything go against him, had one of the worst life, lives, had a, a, all kinds of broken circumstances and he stayed devoted to God. We're gonna look at a different Joe today. We're gonna look at Jonah. And this guy, God kept blessing him and blessing him and he still doesn't quite get it. Joseph was the way we should be. The problem is I think Jonah is the way that we actually are. Now here's why this is important. We know that God loves people and wants them to come to know God. And so there's, there's, been, there's been conversations and rumors and t- talks of revival taking place in our country. In Asbury, there's a big revival that's taking place. And people are like, let's pray for awakening. Let's pray, pray for revival. Let's see something happen. And I sat, I sat in a pastor's conference. And there's there there thousands of people that, hundreds and hundreds of them had to be pastors. They weren't all pastors, but there was thousands of people there and hundreds of them were pastors. And this pastor got up on stage and he said, who wants to see revival? And man, the room, ah, we want revival. You know, and if you don't know, that's how it works. It's kind of like this weird like pastor pep rally kind of thing. Um. But they're like, yeah, we want revive. And then he's like, how many of you would love to see the marriages in your cities get healed? How many of you would like to see people struggling through addiction find, find, find rescue? Ah, how many of you would like to see those that are, that are in prison get, em- the prisons get emptied and, and, and this happens? And people are like, yeah, you know. And then he goes, and how many of you are okay if your church isn't a part of it? Now, I wasn't a pastor yet. So i like, ooh, what's he going to say? And he said, hey, if you really want God to do something in your communities and in your families and in your cities, then it's not about you, you and your church being in the center of it. It's about you being excited that God's doing something. So why aren't you excited that God's doing something if it, it, it just has to involve you? And everybody got real quiet. And I was like, this is the best. And I was like, "Ha! Ah. See, here's the thing. If you put yourself at the center of whatever it is you're asking God to do, if you put yourself in the center of revival, you're, you're not looking for revival, you're looking for recognition. If it's about you, if it's about you, then it's not about God. If the only reason you tell people about Jesus is so that you get a bonus point in heaven, there, there, there isn't tears, okay? It isn't like you get more, God loves you a little bit more than he loves the other. This is the problem. I can preach... And you can read the Bible, and we can talk about, man, things that you can do to love those around you. But if your heart isn't in it, if if you're not where you need to be, then you're missing out on what it is that God's trying to do through you. God can use anybody. There's a story in the Bible where God uses a donkey. If you want to be a jackass, God will use you. it'd be much better to be a Joseph than to be a Jonah. Now, if you've never heard the story of Jonah, Jonah is is not just a regular dude, he's not just any Israelite, he's a prophet. This guy, his job is to walk with God, to read the Bible, to know God, to to be a a mouthpiece for God, that's his job. Equivalent maybe of like a preacher today. So we're not just talking about somebody who's like, I think I believe in God. This guy's supposed to know God. So for today's purposes, This is going to be the person who's been a believer for a while. The person who's gone to church for a little while. The person who who knows the right thing to do. Maybe doesn't do it. Jonah's told, hey, I'm going to destroy Nineveh because it's so evil and so mean and so rebellious. And Jonah's like, you mean my enemies? Nineveh?" Nineveh was the capital city of the Assyrian Empire at this time and it was known for being vicious, pagan. They worshiped the goddess Ishtar. They sacrificed humans. If, if you were their enemy, they would cut your head off and stack it in a pile outside their gates. So like, on the way in, you had to look at a big pile of dead people, and you're like, cool. Gonna get a great Airbnb rating on this one. And, and Jonah knew it. He's like, I don't wanna go to Nineveh. So Jonah, instead, runs in the opposite direction, and God brings a storm. And because of the storm, the sailors on the boat throw Jonah off because he's the cause of it. And instead of drowning in the waters, God sends a giant fish to swallow him. And he spends three days living inside of this fish, in the guts of this fish, begging God to forgive him. And God spits him out. And guess where God spits him out? On the shores leading to Nineveh. So Jonah's like, I guess I'm going to Nineveh. And he goes to Nineveh. And he proclaims, repent, because God's bringing judgment you better turn. You better stop what you're doing. You better accept God. Turn from your wicked ways. And you know what happens? Let's read it. Jo- Jonah chapter 3. The king, this is the king of Nineveh, the king and his nobles sent this decree through the city. No one, not even the animals from your herds and flocks can eat or drink. Everybody's got to fast. Fast. People and animals alike must wear garments of mourning and everyone must pray earnestly to God. They must turn from their evil ways and stop all their violence. And who can tell? Who can tell? Perhaps even yet God will change his mind and hold back his fierce anger from destroying us. When God saw what they had done, this is the whole city of Nineveh, and how they had put a stop to their evil ways, He changed his mind and did not carry out the destruction that he had threatened. I love this. God's not willing that any should perish. Do you know that's the end of anything I ever heard in Sunday school? The end of Jonah chapter three was the end of my Sunday school lessons. Got swallowed by a whale, gets spit out, goes and tells people about God like he was supposed to and everybody changes. This is a city of 120,000 people. And they all convert. You want to talk about revival? You want to talk about hitting it out of the ballpark? I've been preaching for 20 years. I ain't ever had a weekend where 120,000 people got saved. (laughs) Jonah crushed it. And that, to me, was the end of the book of Jonah. Three chapters. Dude gets swallowed by a fish, but then ends up doing the right thing, right? Do you know there's a Jonah chapter 4? There's more to this story that you just don't hear about in Sunday school. You want to know why? (laughs) Because it hurts. (laughs) Because it's really not about how bad Nineveh is. It's really a commentary on how bad the messengers are. You see, the end, the end of Jonah 3 says, "Everybody, everybody repented and God doesn't destroy the city. And if man wrote this book, that's where man would have left it. But God wrote this book, and God goes, oh, no, I need to show you something. So you look at the very next verse, and it says in the very next verse, which is the first verse of chapter 4, it says, this change of plans, what change of plans? The Ninevites repenting and God not destroying them. This change of plans greatly upset Jonah and he became very angry. The Hebrew here is talking about intense anger, not like, oh man, he's like mad. So he complained to the Lord about it. I just need you to understand, some of you haven't heard me preach before. There's two characters in Jonah chapter four. There's God and there's Jonah. You're not God. So here is this person who claims to be a believer complaining to God about something God has or hasn't done. Nobody here would do that. But let's just hypothetically say maybe. Maybe God hasn't done what you want God to do. Maybe God isn't following your plans. He complains to God... And this is what it says. He says, it, it, he complained to the Lord about it. Didn't I say, God? Didn't I say, God? I left home, and, and, and I, I said this even before I left, that you would do this, Lord. I knew it. That's why I ran away to Tarshish. I knew you were merciful and a compassionate God. You were slow to get angry, and you're filled with ever uh, unfailing love, and you're eager to turn back from destroying people. Have you ever got a compliment that was also a critique? Somehow, like, you both were really, like, are you complaining or appreciating? I can't tell. God, you're so loving, God, and you're so merciful, God. I, just can't, I can't stand it. You're like, D- what? What? I knew it, God. I knew it. Now, watch this. Next verse. Just, just kill me now, God. Just let me die right now, God. I'd rather be dead than alive if what I predicted doesn't happen. You got me to come out here and do all this, and then, and then you, you don't do it, God. Then you don't, you don't actually kill him. My life is the worst. <laughs> and listen, before you get on Jonah, I've read some of your Instagrams. <laughs> You're worse. Oh God, kill kill me, how is it worse? I'm so bad, my life sucks. And he goes into this and he just starts being all upset that he has, listen, he's upset that he has one of the most effective ministries in all of the Bible. See, we talk a big talk, but we don't really walk the walk. We struggle with this. We struggle with really understanding what's going on. See, it's, it's, a, it's a hard attitude that Jonah exposes in many, 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 many church people. Those of you that come from other churches and you've been in church for decades, this is what I think kills most churches. This hard heart that comes amongst the elite. The more you know, the more mature of a believer you are, the further you are from the heart of God in many cases. Unfortunately, that's not the way it's supposed to be. I'm just telling you that's the way it ends up in a lot of churches. There is a satirical poet, he's a cleric, in the 17th century, he actually writes about this in a little quip I found this. He says, we are God's chosen view. We are God's chosen view. All others be damned. There's no place in heaven for you because we can't have heaven crammed. Like nobody will say that out loud, but that's kind of like, yeah, like, I mean, I love you, but like I need my room in heaven, so... I'm not looking looking to have your mansion literally right next to mine. I'm looking for a big sprawling field, so you need to go to hell. Nobody will say that out loud, but he's exposing that when you get to the heart of it, Jonah was okay with representing God to his family and his people and the people he was cool with, but go to another country? Let Let me say it this way. Go to somebody who doesn't agree with me? Maybe they voted differently than I voted. Maybe they look different, talk different. Maybe they have different values or morals from me. This is all true. See, I, I want God to show up where I want God to show up. But I don't want God to show up in places that I don't care about. And see, this is what exposes chameleons versus disciples. Is why are you serving? Why are you doing what you're doing? Are you serving out of obligation or out of compassion? Do you love God? Do you serve God? Do you do the things, whatever it is you're doing right now that you're like, that's me serving God. You're giving money. You're, you're, you're volunteering on a, on a ministry team. You're, you're trying to be kind to a coworker. You're reading your Bible every morning. Whatever it is that you want to, whatever box you want to check for, this is me trying to grow in my faith. Great. Those are all good things. But are you doing them Out of like, I need to get a notch on my belt. (laughs) Need God to give me a gold star on the old chart up in heaven. (laughs) Are you doing it because Jesus loved them and said, now you love them the way you love yourself. I loved you, you love them. Show my love for you and my love for them by the way you love them. Be radically different from the rest of this world and love them Unlike, other, unlike the ways that other people love them and then they will have to say that there's something different about you. Is that why you're doing it? Do you hope for revival so that people will line up with your beliefs? Or do you hope for revival so that your friends and your family and your neighbors can know the life-changing, eternity-shifting power of God? What is it? Why do you do what you do? Are you serving out of obligation or out of compassion? Let me tell you a story about a guy who exemplified compassion when it came to serving God. This guy's name's John Harper. Many of you probably never heard of him. John Harper uh, lost his wife shortly after they had uh, a little girl. And so he was a widower, had a six-year-old daughter. He's living in England. He's not sure what to do next, and he gets offered a job in America. So he's like, all right, I'm gonna go to America. I think that'll be better better chance for me and my daughter. So they board a boat, and they head to the US. The problem is that boat was called the Titanic. And you won't see a lot of movies about John Harper, but this is a true story. When they loaded the lifeboats because There was nobody to take care of his daughter because he was a widower. He was allowed to get on the lifeboat and was given a seat amongst the other women and children and some of the older men. And he's sitting there and he looked at his little six-year-old girl before they lowered the boat down and he kissed her. He said, baby, there's a lot of people here that are going to die tonight. And they don't know Jesus. I love you, but I have to go tell. There was over 2,200 people on the Titanic when it hit that iceberg, and over 1,500 of them died that night. John Harper got out of the lifeboat after kissing his daughter goodbye, and then history tells us, many many witnesses said that there was one guy running around going, Repent! Accept Jesus Christ, and you can be saved! Accept Jesus Christ before you die, before it's too late! Invite Jesus in, and you can still be saved! And some people got mad at him. They're like, no, we're not interested in that. And one man got so mad at him. So John Harper went up and he took off his life vest and he says, you need this more than I do. You're not ready to meet God. Repent. That man later said, John Harper saved my life twice that night. That man went on to accept Christ. John Harper runs around the boat, telling as many people as he can after the boat sinks. And there's, there's nearly a thousand people slowly dying in the frigid waters the hypothermia setting in people dying everywhere there was a few scattered and it said that John Harper swam up to as many people as he could he said accept Jesus before you die accept Jesus repent and find Jesus and he came up to one man holding onto a piece of debris he said accept Jesus and the man said no a few minutes later John Harper said won't you accept Jesus he loves you And that man said his own testimony. He was part of a survivor's meeting that met about five or six years later, and he gave this story. He said, when John Harper told me the second time that I needed Jesus, he said, it became very clear to me this ocean was miles deep beneath my feet, and I was getting ready to sink into it, and I felt so far away from God. In that moment, I knew that I truly needed something bigger than myself. And he says, in that moment, I cried out to Jesus and invited him to be my Lord and Savior, and I accepted Christ And he said, as I did that, I watched John Harper slowly sink beneath the water to his grave. He says, I'm the last convert that John Harper ever had. And I hear this story about somebody who said, I actually care more about the people around me, even if they're not my friends, even if they're not my neighbors, even if they're not my family. I care enough for somebody who might have to go meet Jesus is isn't ready yet. So God, use me in any way you can to help point people to the truth. And then I see churches that are not filled with John Harper's, they're filled with Jonas. We're mad because things aren't going exactly the way we want them to go. And it exposes the truth. Chameleons tend to say, mercy for me, but justice for everybody else. See, Jonah is mad. God, I knew you were merciful. I knew you were compassionate. I knew you were, you, you were not willing to destroy people. And God's like, what? In verse four, the Lord replied to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about this? When God asks a question, it's not because he doesn't know the answer. God asks questions for our benefit. All throughout scripture, Adam, where are you? Did you eat the fruit? Cain where's your brother he already knows the answer he's trying to pull out what's already buried in our heart so that we can see it Jonah is it really right for you to be mad about this jump back two chapters to Jonah chapter two you know what Jonah was doing dear God be merciful and compassionate to me please save me don't let me die in this fish God, if you would just forgive me, please just be gracious to me, please. Begging for God's mercy in chapter 2 and chapter 4 complains that God's got mercy for other people. I know. not doesn't sound like a church person at all. See, 1 John 2, 9 says, Whoever says that he's in the light but, act, but is still hating his brother is actually still in darkness. Don't tell me that you're being a light for God. Don't tell me how you're trying to impact your basketball team or your neighbors or, or, or your, your family members you haven't seen before. Don't tell me how you're being a, a light and salt at work when you still have hatred and bitterness towards somebody. You hate somebody, you're bitter towards... You don't know what they did to me, Pastor. Hey, that's on them. That's between them and God. You don't have to hate them. Because if you hold hate, you're not walking in the light. You're actually still in the dark. And it's no wonder why there isn't light being brought to your family, to your marriage, to your classroom, to your floor at, the, at work, to your cubicle. It's all dark. It's dark because you don't, have, you don't have the light of Christ shining through you. Go on in the story. Jonah, in the next verse, went outside of the city and he made a shelter to sit under as he waited to see what would happen to the city. Jonah preached. Jonah preached, repent and God will spare you. God will save you. Repent, turn to God, and you'll find God's mercy. But he was hoping that he was wrong. He preached it, but he didn't practice it. I know you all can't see my eyes when I wear glasses. Why don't I wear glasses very often because the glare keeps me from making sure you know I'm not talking about Jonah. He preached something that he didn't practice. So he goes and he gets a seat on the outside of the town. He's like, all right, God, bring the lightning. Here we go. Fireballs. Whatever you gotta do, God. Burn them up. This is what this is what this dude's doing. It's a question for you on that verse. Are you really believing what you're proclaiming? Just a question. Are you really believing what you're proclaiming? Are you walking the walk or just talking the talk? All right, back to the story. The Lord, while he's sitting there waiting, the next verse says, the Lord arranged for a leafy plant to grow. Other versions say it's a gourd. It's just this big plant with this huge leaf. He arranged for a plant to grow there and soon it spread its broad leaves over Jonah's head, shading him from the sun. And this eased his discomfort, and Jonah was very grateful for the plan. Do you know this is the first and only time we see Jonah be happy or grateful for anything? Jonah was not thankful that God gave him a mission to go to Nineveh. Jonah was not grateful when God sent a whale to keep him from drowning. Jonah was not grateful when the whale spit him out. Jonah was not grateful when he got to go to Nineveh. Jonah was not grateful when the Ninevites repented. Jonah was only grateful when he got something for himself. But God arranged for a worm, it says in the next verse. And the next morning at dawn, the worm ate through the stem of the plant so that it withered away. God's like, oh, okay. And as the, now remember, God arranged for the plant first, and then God arranged for the worm. And then as the sun grew hot, God arranged for a scorching east wind to blow on Jonah. And the sun beat down on his head until he grew faint and wished to die. Death is certainly better than living like this," he exclaimed. "You guys picking up on a pattern here, by the way." And then God said to Jonah, "Is it right for you to be angry because the plant died? Are you are you sure this is something you should be bent out of shape about?" And Jonah could have had been like, "You're right, God. That's stupid. Why am I being dumb?" Nope. Jonah does what we do. "Yes," he retorted. "Angry enough to die." God, you don't understand how bad my life is. I can just imagine God sitting there going like, all right, tell me, Jonah. Tell me about all the things that are the worst for you. I gave you purpose. I gave you protection. I gave you a plan. And I gave you a plant. And you're mad that the plant is no longer here. And before you sit there and write in your Bible about how, like, you would never be Jonah... I think it's very common for chameleons in the church to idolize little dumb things like plants. Maybe not actual plants. But we we idolize things that have no bearing on eternity and we get wicked bent out of shape when something happens to them that isn't our plan for them. You want to know how? The Lord said in the next verse, you feel sorry about the plant, Jonah, though you did nothing to put it there. It came quickly and it died quickly. Easy come, easy go, and this has got you bent out of shape. Something that you can't take with you when you die, something that has zero eternal value, you're this bent out of shape about it? Like it's a car or a hobby or a job title, or money in the bank, or clothes, or people who like your Instagram post. Am I, am I touching on anything here? You get bent out of shape about crap that doesn't matter. You let your life get consumed by it, and then you're wondering why, why you and I aren't on, on good terms. Are you really this confused, Jonah? Are you really this dumb? Yes, he retorted. He didn't actually retort it. But that's kinda like how it feels, right? Charles Spurgeon wrote about this this phenomenon, this Jonah mentality, Charles Spurgeon's a famous pastor. He said, if dear friends like Jonah, you want to complain, you will soon have something to complain of. People who are resolved to fret generally make for themselves causes for fretfulness. Do you know somebody who it doesn't matter what's going on, they always have a complaint? If you don't, other people are thinking of you right now. Because everybody knows somebody. Always ready to complain. Doesn't matter what's going on, they got They got something's wrong. They could win the lottery, they'd be mad that it had happened on a cloudy day. It's just, it's just like that's their attitude. See, here's the thing, a chameleon, just check your heart here, a chameleon defaults to discouragement, despair and distress. That's the default of a chameleon. When the crap hits the fan, you freak out. You get angry. You get discouraged. You get distraught. Look at, compare Jonah to last week with Joseph. There are people who, who just naturally, I'm, I'm the victim. Everything happens to me. Well, it's me. It's always, it's always bad on me. Well, and then there's people who go, this sucks, but God, I'm going to trust you. It's, you got one or the other. Jonah is like, I lost my plant. Kill me now. And he exemplifies the majority of people who call themselves mature followers. Unfortunately, he's, he is probably more often what you'll find in a church than a Joseph. How did he get that way, Pastor Josh? I'm glad you asked. I noticed this, I noticed this trend with, with him. Jonah stops serving God. You see him stop serving. And then you see him separate himself from others. And then you see him become a spectator. And I can almost guarantee when, I'm, when I see somebody start this, I can be like, they're leaving the church. They're walking away from God. This is the pattern that I see over and over again. I'm gonna stop, sir. So I'm busy, I'm really busy right now, pastor. I'm really busy, can't serve right now. My I, I got I got, my kid's got sports, so I can't really come to church. Oh, My, my, my bills are tight, so I can't really give. Uh, my neighbor's a jerk, so I can't really love him. Fill in the blank, we always got excuses. We stop serving, and then we push away the people that should be pouring into us. We don't go to community group. We don't stick around after church and make a friend. We actually make sure there's no godly people to speak into our life. We slowly We won't say we're doing it on purpose, but we just don't have anybody to speak God into our life. And then we become spectators. We show up at church, and we sit in a chair, and then we go home. And there's not any difference between you sitting in that black chair right now than Jonah sitting on the edge of that cliff. I came to watch, but not be a part. I'm spectating, but God don't ask me to do anything. Why? Because it's not about compassion, it's about compulsion. Compassion says, I will go serve in that kid's ministry because I believe every one of those little kids has a future and eternity they're going to spend somewhere, so I will serve. Well, Pastor, I I don't really like kids. Jonah didn't really like Nineveh. I love the book of Jonah because it just beats the crap out of every church excuse. Well, I don't, I don't feel called to give right now because it's just not a calling on my life. It doesn't matter how you feel. Jonah felt hatred, and God still says, "Do what I tell you to do, not what you feel like doing." Every excuse you have is a Jonah. I don't feel like it. It doesn't. It doesn't appeal to me. It's not good timing for me. It's not. This isn't. Bull crap, that's between you and God, and you are telling him no when he's telling you go. Well, well, I just don't think you know what's going on in my life, Pastor. It's not really fair for you to say, you're right, I don't. My gourd has died. I've had a worm in my life this week, this month, this year, this decade. Okay. And that worm sucks, whatever it is, I know, It sucks but you've made, it, you've made an excuse for why you're not doing what God's called you to do, and there are people around you that desperately need Jesus Christ, and you are not pointing them to Jesus because a worm, whatever your worm is, a broken heart from a relationship, a bunch of bills you don't know how to pay, a doctor's diagnosis that you don't know what to deal with, everybody in this room has got worms. Please don't put that on Instagram, that's out of context. <laughs> but we all got them, we all got issues, we all got things that have ruined our plans, right? We've all got things that are getting in the way of what we would do if we could. And yet God says that's that's not eternity. But yet, the worms eat our plants, our our idols, the things that we have idolized. Now, nobody in this room would idolize something that would keep them from serving God, would they? Nobody in here has taken something small and made it a reason for God not to use them. There's nobody in here that is Pack their schedule so full that they can't serve in a ministry, is there? There's nobody in here that's, that's so strapped that they can't, they can't find a way to support a mission. There's nobody in here that would go to one campus because that's where Pastor Josh is going to preach live versus going to the other campus where they need to serve so more people can be reached, is there? There's nobody that would do something small and silly and worship something like that instead of doing what it is that God's called them to do. Or is it? What's, what's, the, what's the plant that you've idolized? And what's the worm that's ruining your day? Because none of it has anything to do with what God has. See, Jonah's last words are, I'm angry enough to die about all of this. And that's what we're left with for this great follower of God. This embarrassing story of somebody who should have been excited about revival, but instead is been out of shape because things don't look the way they want. I'm sorry if you got hurt at church. I'm sorry if somebody disappointed you in the past. I'm sorry if you come from a broken family. All of that is lies from Satan telling you that this that therefore means you don't have to serve God now. How jacked up as your past is, as broken as as you, you feel your life is right now, God has got more purpose for you than what it is that you see around you. And I had to ask myself this question. Are you overwhelmed by your problems, Josh? but end up being oblivious to God's purpose for you. You get so overwhelmed by all of the crap that you can't take care of, that you're oblivious to the, to the actual purpose that God has for your life. I think that's indicative of most churches. But Jonah doesn't get the last word, God does. I love that. Jonah ends with, I'm angry enough to die. And God says, well, you love a plant, and it was easy come, easy go. But the last verse of the book of Jonah, Nineveh has more than 120,000 people living in it. And they're living in spiritual darkness, not to mention all the animals. See, God says, I love animals. He's like, I like animals too. Uh, there's 120,000 people and the animals. And he goes, shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great city? Jonah, Do you not? Do, are you so wrapped up Are you so wrapped up in your stuff that you will actually turn a blind eye to thousands upon thousands of people that need me? Shame on the church that would have that be true of them. Shame on the church member who would put their own agenda upon people coming to know Jesus. I want you guys to stand with me if you would. The commission that God gave Jonah is not unlike the commission that Jesus gave his followers. Jesus died on a cross and rose from the dead. And in the time between rising from the dead and before he ascended to heaven, he gathered his followers together and he says, I got a word for you. And if anybody here has ever left their kids at home you know that parents tend to give the most important instructions right before they walk out the door. Don't have a party. Don't start a fire. <laughs> Make sure you clean your room. Whatever it is, the, the important thing is what you say right at the end. And Jesus goes, before I go, verse 18 of Matthew chapter 28, Jesus came and told his disciples, I've been given all the authority in heaven and on earth. And with that authority, I say, therefore go. You, go. Go. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands that I've given you, and be sure of this. I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. I'm with you always. Go tell everybody everywhere what I've done for you. That's not for the, just for the disciples, that's for you today. There is no excuse. There is no reason if you have Jesus that you are not supposed to be an ambassador for him. I don't care if you're like, I don't know any Bible. I haven't been saved very long. I don't know what to say. All you have to do is say what he did for you. That's your testimony. Share your testimony. And keep coming to church and keep growing and then you'll have more and more to share. But everybody right now has at least the testimony. Here's what God did for me. I believe he can do even more for you. That's witnessing. That's sharing. The prophet Isaiah said that the Lord asked him a question. He said, I heard the Lord asking this question. The Lord asked, whom shall I send? Who will be a messenger to the people? Who will go for us? This is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit asking this question. The Trinity asked, who will go represent us? If today, if God was standing right here on this stage and he looked out over this room and he said, Who will go? Who? Who I got I got somebody tomorrow who's gonna hand out a cup of coffee and I need the recipient to share some hope with them. Who will go? I got somebody who's gonna walk their dog past your yard tomorrow. Who's who will go? Who, who will share some some joy, some peace? Who who will just give a cup of cold water in my name? Who will have a converse? Who will have the time to love people the way Jesus would? Who will go do that? Here's what I pray our church's response is. I don't, I'm not responsible for other churches. I'm responsible for Harbor. And Harbor, if we want God to show up, we want revival, we want something to happen, we want to see God work, then we got to have Isaiah's response. Isaiah said, here I am. Send me. Yeah. Here I am. God, I don't know if I got it. I ain't got much left in the tank. But here I am. God, I'm not the I'm not the brightest bulb. If brains were leather, I couldn't saddle a June bug, but here I am. Some of you'll get that later. It's all about your response. He's not going to make you. He's asking you to be willing to do it. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I want you to bow your head and close your eyes. I'm going to pray out loud. Would you respond to God how you how you feel him leading you right now? Right where you are. Would you say, here I am, send me. With nobody looking around, this is between you and God. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Would you, would you make a commitment, God... You can use me. I want to walk out of this room looking more like Jesus. If I if you give me an opportunity this week, tomorrow, I want to look more like Jesus. Use me. Send me. Let me love somebody the way you would love them. If that's you, would you just slip your hand up as a testimony and put it back down? Send me, God. Here I am. Send me. God, this is my hand. Send me. I'm saying I'll do it. Send me. A lot of hands. A lot of people couldn't raise their hands. Some of you say, I'm not ready for God to use me. I don't know what that means. Then just say, God, I I, I still wanna be used. I don't know what it means, but God, I need to trust you more. God, I'm still bitter about a, a worm that's happened in my life. God, I'm still upset about some plans that didn't go my way. God, forgive me, help me move past that so I can be used by you. Maybe that's your prayer. Right now, right where you're standing, you start talking to God quietly. He knows your thoughts. Tell Him, God, I, I I need to let go of this. God, I'm sorry for for trying to perform out of out of compulsion. I'm sorry that I tried to serve out of some obligation. God, I, I want compassion. I want to see people the way you you see them. I want to be more like John Harper than I than a Jonah. God, help me have an attitude shift. Help me, God, see people the way you do. Let me let me love my neighbor for a change. God, help me. Give God permission to give you opportunities this week to step into. He will. And there's some of you right now that, as there's people praying all over this room, people praying in the overflow room, there's, there's people listening online and you're making decisions. There's some of you that are under the sound of my voice right now and you don't have Jesus in your life. Would today be the day that you repent? that you accept Jesus Christ, if you, would only repent, if you would only invite him in, acknowledge that you can't fix you, acknowledge that your sin is bigger than you and that you need somebody bigger than you like God. Admit that you need Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross to take away your sins. When you accept that, when you believe that, and you invite him in to be the Lord of your life, not only do you have heaven one day, but you'll have the Holy Spirit come to live inside of you And now we're on the right track to have the fuel to point other people to salvation. But it's got to start with you having them in your life. As I pray out loud, you pray quietly. God, it's a room full of people. God, we're all broken. We're all messed up. And yet, Lord, you love us. You love each of us exactly as we are. You love us and you died for us. So, God, we come before you and we ask, Lord, help us. God, I know I'm guilty of having a Jonah attitude where I focus on the things I don't like. I focus on the things that didn't go my way. And God, you've called me instead to love you and to love others. God, would you raise up leaders in our church? Would you raise up men and women, boys and girls who love you more than they love this world? God, don't let us be a church filled with chameleons, God. Let us be a group of people who are, 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 are filled with compassion for those around them. God, let us be people on mission who care more about walking with you and pointing people to you than we care about our own comfort or our own plans. God, help us. God, break the hearts of the people in this room. Let us, don't let us become cold and bitter and, and angry and frustrated with the people around us. God, let us, let us love them even if they're hard to love. God, I ask that you would save the people under the sound of my voice right now, the people who right now know that they need you lord give them the strength to go forward with that decision god i pray that right now they would invite you in that they would confess that they need you that they would give you access to sit on the throne of their life lord god i pray that you would see the hands of those who said send me god there's so many people in this room and if just a handful of them would surrender to you you could turn cape cod upside down god if there was just a few that would say god you have complete access use me send me God, what what amazing light could be shed throughout all of New England with just a few people being excited to be used by you. So Lord, look on this group of people, look on every person who's listening to this right now, God, and, and send us. Here we are, send us. We ask this and pray this in your name. If you'd like to support the ministries of Harbor as we bring the hope of Jesus to our community and around the world, you can visit harborchurch.com give or text any amount to 84321. Thanks for listening. See you next week.